Who the Wild Things Are with Ryan McGuire. You gotta listen to your body. Oh my God, maybe, you know, I could get out there. I could do this. Let's take a ride. Find your wild side. Real stories. See with your own eyes. It's so beautiful. I'm gonna have the best time out here. Yeah, I was in tears. I was just like, that's the best, man. Welcome back to Who the Wild Things Are. This is episode 12. And over the last year, we brought you guys 11 very different, very wild guests, each of them wild in their own way. All of those episodes you guys can check out on Spotify, YouTube, wherever it is that you watch podcasts. Thank you everyone behind the scenes that has helped make this podcast happen. I uh, surely haven't done it alone. And a uh, big thank you to you guys. So with that said, moving forward to this evening, we are on episode 12. Episode 12 is a really, really special guest, Jordan Jonas. Jordan is probably most well known for his season six alone victory. Uh, if you're not familiar with alone, it's a show on history channel that Jordan had to survive alone in the Arctic. And besides that, he's done so many other wild things in his life. That's what's going to make him an excellent guest. And uh, with all that said, let's, let's get him on here. Thank you everyone for joining. It's been a while since we've got to do this. Hey, Jordan. Hey, man. How's it going? How's the sound and everything? Good. I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yeah. Awesome, man. How yeah. you doing? <laughs> good, good, great. I just got the kids set up on some Bugs Bunny, so we should be good for hours and hours and hours. <laughs> just right on, man. I think the last time I saw you, you were in my neck of the woods uh, getting ready for an elk hunt. How'd that end up? Right. Yeah, it went well. I, uh... We did. We went up and ended up getting a nice cow and freezers full. So yeah, it went really well. It was actually a lot of fun. Fun hunt. You got some. Went to some new country I'd never been before, and yeah, it was a blast. How about you? What were you, what were you uh, up to at the time? I was uh, actually getting ready for a whitetail hunt in Nebraska, and uh, oh yeah. I, I we headed out there. I had a doe tag, and I had a, a close encounter with the doe that I ended up passing on. She was uh, holding a foal, kind of on her rear quarter. And, oh yeah, uh, yeah. I, I ended didn't up have the heart up on the shot because uh, I was actually scared that if I shot a pass through, that it would hit the foal. So that that was like, how, oh yeah, I was that close. You know, it was pretty. Oh wow. So it was, were you uh, with your recurve? Uh, I actually had made the longbow that week. It was an Osage longbow. Oh, wow. So, <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. Well, was, dang, that was a good opportunity. Yeah, and we had a great time. We got to see a bunch of wildlife, so definitely no regrets there. Yeah, yeah, as always. That's awesome, man. Awesome. Nice. I think a lot of people uh, recognize you, you know, first off from alone, uh, but I think from what I can tell, there's a lot more to your story, especially like your background. So I'm interested to hear kind of how Jordan Jonas got to where he is now. Like, what's the background? Where did you grow up? And were you always an outdoorsy individual? Was that something you were thrust into? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So my background, I mean, I grew up for the most part uh, on a farm up in North Idaho and, uh, uh, I was actually born in Illinois, but then when I was pretty young, we moved back up there. My grandparents had lived there forever, so uh grew up on a farm, which means you're always kind of, you know, pretty outdoorsy doing stuff outside. We camped and all that a lot and uh, explored the woods we had. We had some really nice uh, woods up where we lived, but uh, my dad wasn't really a hunter, and he, you know, worked a regular job and was pretty much nine to five, and... Uh, um, so I didn't get into hunting and, until later in life. That more came after I went to Russia and spent a lot of time, you know, they sub basically subsistence hunt over there all the time. So I was always around that. And then uh, when I got back from Russia, I would always start. Uh, then I got really into hunting, mostly bow hunting and uh, down in Virginia, because that's where I was at the time. And 
so with, as far as hunting, that's how it goes. But yeah, I grew up in in Idaho when I was 18 or 19. Uh, my brother invited me to join him riding freight trains around the country because he had he had done that for years at that point, and he uh, uh, asked me if I wanted to join him, and I was just working a job at the salad dressing factory. <laughs> so I, I quit that and. Uh, yeah, we spent a summer going across the country, and um, and it was awesome. I uh, it was the first time that uh, I got a taste of the type of lifestyle that I would only really then later taste when I was living with like nomads and natives in the wilderness, where where you don't have any schedule, you don't have uh, you know basically your daily needs are the only thing you are worried about. It's probably kind of how we were designed to live, you know, and how people have lived forever, um, pre-modern era. And so it was really interesting to get into that rhythm of life and I, you know, and really appreciate it. You know, it's hard to go back to a normal way of life after that because you get a taste of like, oh, that's freedom. That's what life is supposed to be like. And, uh, I mean, I could keep going. Of course, then after, you know, I was down in Virginia working a job down there, and I had an adopted brother who wanted to find his biological family when he grew up and just tell him thanks for giving him a a chance or whatever. And so he did, and it turns out he had a biological brother that was going to go over to Russia and help some missionary guy build an orphanage. And uh, I, uh, he told me about it, and I was like, oh, man, I you know, thought and prayed about it, and I felt really like, yeah, it's the right thing to do, I guess. So I just yeah. basically uh, bought a ticket for a year and went to Russia and then uh, so lived with the... Uh, yeah. Quick, I'm curious, so it seems like you, your brother's name's Ben, right? Yeah. So I have a Ben, that was actually my other brother, right, Caleb. Right. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I, I remember but, yeah. Ben, uh, when I met you guys, he had the foot injury. Is he, is right. he better now? Yeah. Yeah, it's slow healing, man. He's uh, he's still still in the process, but man, those foot feet are a lot of bones in there. But he's healing up. He's tough. He'll do it. But I know it's been disappointing. He really likes uh, jujitsu and stuff, but it sometimes comes with uh, some injuries. Comes, <laughs> so. Yeah, with the price to pay. I'm I'm curious, yeah. like, what what were your parents like? Uh, you know they see both of their sons go off and run across the country and like an atypical lifestyle. And then it seems like they maybe endorsed uh, like your decision to move across the world and live in Russia slash Siberia. Yeah. I think, uh, I think my brother had done a lot of heavy lifting on that (laughs) because he had like basically, you know, hitchhiked to Reno and then hopped on freight trains and disappeared for years. (laughs) And he would call occasionally, of course. And, uh, uh, you know, but I think basically my parents were of the mindset that, hey, if we're, you know, if, if we're not, like, doing drugs and going crazy and, you know, like, living the wildlife too much, that I think they just felt like, you know what, we're in the good Lord's hands and kind of let it go. Mom was pretty hands-off and, you know, has was dad as far as, like, letting us just live our lives as we felt, you know, fit and, uh, yeah, they're, so in that way, they were really supportive, and uh, I think that was a big asset. You know, I didn't feel like, uh, yeah, I just, we just, I think, felt, I felt pretty free to do whatever I felt was the right thing, and yeah, I yeah. Think that, I think that's pretty rare these days, like, like to have parents who are, are hands-off and kind of let their, their kids explore their own path, so I think that's a... a yeah, I think that was really good for me. I think, like, uh, I know for myself, yeah, I, uh where I was given, you know, that trust as a young person when I was young, uh, you know, I usually rose to the occasion, whereas I think if you try to, you know, hold people too tight, you know, you can kind of crush them and they react against that. But uh, they did a good job of just letting us live and trusting that we were doing the right thing. And, yeah, yeah, it is perhaps uncommon, but it was definitely empowering for me or, you know, I think – something i would like to model also uh yeah Thanks. Mm-hmm. i i think uh i think it's a, a really admirable thing because i'm sure as a parent i'm not a parent but i'm sure that there's like some anxiety there so oh yeah for sure on top of that they or you you let them know you let your family know you're moving to russia 
to uh, go build orphanages. How how did that uh, how did that unfold? And was Russia like always on your mind, or did it just kind of spawn? No, and- it really wasn't. I had uh, I was pretty. I was always into history, and I actually was really into like reading about. German, Russian, like Eastern Front memoirs. And so I had done a lot of that. And I'd read the Gulag Archipelago. And so I was kind of, uh, and that was a really impactful book for me, by the way, as a young dude, you know, I was uh, really valuable to read. But I was brutal indeed. Um, But I hadn't, I didn't thought about Russia in particular. It was really only when that particular opportunity arose and I felt really uh, strongly you know, led to go there that I was like, well, I guess I'm just going to go there and figure it out. But I was kind of on a, I was a little going in a little bit blind. I didn't know what to expect or anything. And, uh, of course it's always different than you expect. And I lived with the American guy who was an awesome dude for a while, but he, uh, I wanted to live with the Russians. So I, he actually sent me to a neighboring village to live with a Russian family whose the guy's wife was in the hospital and he needed to go to work. He had two little kids. I had never dealt with kids. I didn't know the language or anything. And he basically just was like, oh, yeah, watch my kids. I'll see you later. <laughs> so, so that was a big uh, learning curve. And uh, I would later think about that because that year, that first year where I was just in that Russian village, I mean, the people I was with were awesome, but I felt more isolated there than I would ever on alone or anything like that. You know, I remember laying in my bed just being like, oh, I wouldn't wish this on my worst enemy. Like, you know, I was... Wow. Although, you know, in hindsight, it's a lot of fond memory. You know, it was cool. Russian village life, cutting hay with a sigh. But there's something about uh, something about not speaking the language and being amongst a lot of other people that do. You know, you kind of just feel really isolated. And uh, over the year, you know, I learned Russian, and then and then I kind of, uh, you know, the whole world over there opened up for me, which was awesome. They, uh both of the guys I lived with, there's kind of two families I bounced between. They'd both been in prison for considerable amounts of time in Siberia. So, And they had a third friend who was a fur trapper up north, and he had also been in prison with them. And they were always like, hey, you got to go meet our buddy up north. And eventually made the connection, and that guy invited me up to the far, you know, northern Siberia and kind of went from there. <laughs> so that's the, but, the taiga, right? Yeah, and the taiga. So... I, Fortunately, it wasn't uh, it wasn't in the tundra. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we're gonna walk over here. Um, yeah, um, I like that it was in the taiga because it's forested and and if you've ever seen that documentary, Happy People, yeah. uh, you sh- if you haven't, you should. But it was actually not far from there at all. Oh, hold on, it's buffering. They say. Okay, hold on. Did you guys touch a button? Oh, oh, there. Sorry. <laughs> no um, it's all good. Hold on. Let me find a better spot. All right. <clears throat> Go in the kids' room here. Anyway, um, <clears throat> wow. We all back online? I can hear you fine. All right, cool. Um, where was I? So we were, we Sorry, were talking yeah. about uh, mm-hmm. you, you, had, you had gone to Russia, and then the fur trapper kind of introduced you to these folks that were living nomadic. Oh, yeah. Real similar, to, real similar to happy people. So that guy that I lived with was, you know, just a fur trapper and had been since Soviet times and um, basically took me out one season, and he had uh, not been trapping for like seven years when I went up there. And I was kind of like the inspiration for him to get back into it. He was like, Oh, okay. You know, I'll go back out. But that meant that all his lines and stuff were totally abandoned and, uh, he hadn't been there forever, but he basically showed me a topographical map and was like, Oh, there's that cabin. So I, we were basically five weeks, you know, in separate parts of his territory. And we'd kind of pre hunting season stocked up the cabin and uh with some noodles and things like that but aside from that it was whatever you fished and were able to get and that was my uh you know first real aside from a a week riding freight trains that was my first real significant time being alone you know and that was an interesting experience i was only i don't know 22 or something like that at the time 23 
and uh, yeah, that was fascinating. A lot of the, I think a lot of the lessons that uh, people learned when they were on a loan, kind of, that was when I really kind of learned those lessons. Like I, I, I remember being really struck by the fact that, oh man, I have these little uh, unturned, or you know, I guess little issues, like little things I should resolve with people that I haven't, that aren't that big of a deal. But when you're out there, you just think about them all the time. And you're like, holy cow, I can't allow that to, you know, <laughs> I can't allow it to like occupy my mind out there. So on a situation like alone where you know you're going to be for months, you would uh, definitely made me know that like, oh, you got to make sure all your ducks are in a row before you go out there. You're not going to escape your psychology out there <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah i've had that before where i come back and the first thing i want to do after a solo instead of eat is call the three people that i've been thinking about the entire time i was out there right, right. <laughs> whoever that was randomly <laughs> whoever it was sometimes it's like a person i haven't talked to in 10 years and sometimes it's someone yeah. who's close to me it just it depends on whatever's going on in your head but when you have no other human influence, it just bounces between your ears for days. Absolutely, yeah. It doesn't go anywhere. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a fascinating thing to notice. <laughs> and uh, hopefully a catalyst to help you figure that stuff out. Yeah, but. yeah it's, it's really good for you. Now, one of my friends actually told me, so, you know, the idea of going 24 hours with no human influence, whether it's no people, and it should... I think also no books is a good thing because uh -huh, you know, uh -huh. books are people's thoughts. But if you do that 24 hours completely alone, you have like those instantly you start having all those thoughts about that kid that you were mean to at a barbecue when you were 14. <laughs> and then, totally. you know, it's like all these little It's amazing what's tucked away them. back in there. Yeah, it really is fascinating. Stuff you would have never thought you'd ever remember again. It starts popping up and... Uh, I also, I also, as you're saying, like, books are life, though, but, and they are, like, in general, but it is cool to have a, uh, an experience that kind of takes all distractions away, and it's just you and your head and your situation. It is pretty wild. I know on my season that Brady, you remember Brady, he was doing pretty well on the loan, but then he kind of just tapped out. Uh, anyway, he was saying, if you ever want to know what it's like out here, draw a circle and stand in it, you know, a circle in the sand and stand in it for 24 hours and you'll get like where his psychology was at. And I'm like, Oh yeah, that's interesting. Uh, yeah. There's a, there's a, a native practice where you would do the same thing, except you'd use rocks. So you would mark the oh, yeah. directions with rocks and then you'd stay inside of the perimeter of that circle for oh, 24, interesting. 48 hours. And it's hard. It's really hard. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, it's hard for me too. Like, uh, all, I'm a pretty active person, and I like to stay pretty active all day. I mean, I remember even after I got the moose on the show, I was like, well, I should probably save calories. And so then, the, you know, you get your moose smoked and all that, and I sat in my shelter for about two hours one morning. I was like, okay, <laughs> that was the longest two hours of my whole time out here. <laughs> I'm going to go fishing. Just get, uh, what, skills, what skills did you really learn, like, in terms of hard skills when you were in the taiga, when you were – so – for folks maybe that haven't heard, um, you're living with nomadic reindeer, which is caribou. So caribou herders yep. in the forest, and you were learning all these skills. What skills did you really develop during that time? Yeah, anyway, they, after uh, that fur trapper guy, all his cousins were these native nomadic reindeer herders. And he, uh, like, you know, liked me. And so he's like, I'm going to go take you out to my cousins. He basically took me out on a snowmobile, dropped me off at the teepee, and, uh, you know, vouched for me, and those guys, it was all happened really organically, so they basically took me in like, a, you know, part of the family right away, and and it was a big learning experience right off the bat. The very first thing I did when I was there was, you know, I told them I worked construction or whatever, and they're like, oh, great, well, you can build a food cache, you know, we need to build a new food cache, so they kind of showed me how they build those elevated food caches, and, uh, uh, a little bit like I built on a loan, although I never quite finished that one. You'd usually put like a walled-in cabin on the top of the stilts, and then you're kind of, you know, safe from everything. But uh, so I built one of those right away, and that was that was a good, useful, hard skill. <laughs> and then, um, of course, you're always 
getting meat. You're always hunting, so everything's uh, – they're always looking for moose, always looking for uh, grouse and whatever it is, fishing all the time with different techniques. Um, I know, you know, fishing with nets, that's not something you do very often in the States. And out there, they use a lot of nets, and you'd learn little tricks like putting it under the ice. Or one thing also worked for me out there was, you know, put my uh, fish under or my net under the ice. Oh no, they're yelling again. And then I hung a little metal shiny things in the uh, net, and that's actually where the big pike that I caught at the end there struck. And so, <laughs> um, uh, little tricks like that. Smoking meat, you know, pre- preserving meat in the summer when you get something big in the summer, that's a big deal. And we uh, would do that a lot, get a big moose in the middle of the hottest part of the summer and just have to, you know, preserve it before it spoils. So, I mean, there's a, the, the list of skills kind of goes on and on. Just living in the, uh, you know, negative 60 degrees at times, <laughs> you know, that – just how you go about living in those situations, what you prioritize. And in general, I think it was really helpful to live with people who truly, uh, who truly, this is Zaya, my son. He's apparently got sick of Bugs Bunny. But uh, <laughs> it's, uh, uh, yeah, just seeing what's practical for people in real life and what's, you know, more of just, there's a lot of really cool skills you learn, but that you might not actually use in a situation. Zyra! So, uh, when so that you, was when kind of separating there, the wheat from chaff. Mm-hmm. When you were out there, um, I want to get, you know, all the way into the alone stuff, but just drilling down into living with those folks, did you notice that it was kind of like the Warner Herzog stuff? Like, did you notice those folks were actually happier than... Well, that's a good question. You know, let me just compare them to themselves. Um, when they were, <laughs> when they were, uh, Zaya, go watch the movie. When they were, um, in the village, so there's a, there's like village life and there's wilderness life. And when they were in the village, it was actually really rough. So my first impression of going to the natives was in the village and everybody's drunk the murder and suicide rates are like uh, one in every three person, people there die of homicide, mur- or, uh, suicide, or accident. So it's like insane. And even in my own uh, time being there, I have a lot of, you know, probably half of the people I know there seems like have died, you know, of one thing or another. It's really rough in the village. What's an insane contrast is those same people out in uh, the wilderness where, all of a sudden, these people who you would think of in the village as like, wow, just drunk, like on a level we've never seen, you know, um, all of a sudden out in the in the wilderness, they're like happy people, they're knowledgeable, they're hardworking, they're, you know, very productive, very proud of what they're doing. It's It's a night and day difference with the exact same people. And so, uh, and I've been to Venki villages where they, don't have reindeer herding anymore, um, and it was just just a black hole. You know, just everybody's drunk all the time, even kids and stuff. There's just, you know, you go to the village, you can never get a night's sleep because there's always people, like, barging in the house drunk, like, oh, you know, like, it's just, it's insanity. But the, uh, when they have the, when they still have their traditional way of life, um, there's, like, a place for those people to go and, like, be proud of what they do and stuff and it makes a huge difference and it influences the whole village because the whole village is kind of proud of this thing that's going on around them um so yeah it was uh yeah it would be too simplistic to just say they're happy people but if you just if you kind of compare uh their own their own sell themselves to themselves (laughs) in the wilderness versus the village it really is a stark difference and I think, uh, yeah, I'd often, of course, thought about Native Americans and reservations and stuff, and I thought, man, I wish, you know, I wish there were more traditional paths forward. It's not like everybody's going to choose that path, but as long as it's an option, um, a lot of the people will. And I found with the Natives, uh, it was usually the people that were the most, like, I mean, the people you'd probably want to have a conversation with the most, the most interesting people that would, like, 
desire to keep their ways going and live in the wilderness and they're like it was pretty fascinating the uh uh, on the flip side, it's hard, like life is hard in the wilderness, you know, and it, uh, and it's different for men and women and it's a pretty traditional society. So, uh, men, like for me and the other guys, we're out there always hunting and fishing and trapping and it's pretty awesome. I think for a lot of, a lot of women, it was, well, it's harder to get the women out there. So it's kind of ends up being a shame because the coolest guys that are all the reindeer herders you know, can't really find wives <laughs> that want to be out there with them. And then the kind of degenerate guys that just live in the village, you know, they have access to all that. So it makes for an awkward draw. It really feels like late 1880s Native America where you're really hoping it makes it through. Um, but it's got definitely some holes in the dam that, you know, need to be plugged or something. You know, it's yeah, it's tricky. Mm-hmm. So it's a complicated story, and it's all complicated by their history. You know, like Soviet collective farms and stuff really did a number on their culture. She's because, uh, they were, because they were probably taking all of that land and all of the reindeer from the herds, right? Yeah, so it, it actually kind of happened weird. You know, a big part of Soviet propaganda was what America did to its native populations. So, uh, <laughs> oh no. hold on one second. So, it was a, um, what they did to their native population. So actually, in Russia, they tried to uh, help their natives. Unfortunately, you know, it's still all through a Soviet system. So everything's collectivized. Every, so all the all the reindeer herders that were pre-Soviet times, which was really only in the 30s. Um, that had more than 500 reindeer were considered, uh, you know, kulaks, which would be like rich people. And so they were all sent to prison camps, as were all the shamans, all their, like, religious leaders. And so they kind of gutted their culture and then collectivized it. Then what happened, though, was they actually ended up getting some – their tribes did pretty well because the government pumped a lot of resources into it because it was part of their propaganda – but, um, and, you know, I'm sure they had genuine interest in seeing it survive. But the, uh, then when Soviet Union fell apart, they had created an entire dependent system. And then it collapsed. And then the natives were just left without the whole support structure that they had been given. And all the reindeer that they had built up for those last couple generations, so they had herds of like 5,000 reindeer, all of a sudden overnight they were just private and anyone could come by them. And so... Russians came in and bought all the reindeer and then just sent them to the meat market. So it was just a mass slaughter of all these people's generations of work. And, uh, you know, the reindeer herders that are there now are just, you know, living off the few reindeer they were able to purchase and privatize and kind of keep going. So kind of just crazy stuff. Yeah. I mean, it seems like any time where there's like a, a mass, like, um, just really like taking the the livelihood out of people, it almost like skips a generation because then then there's like a generation of people in the middle who don't really know that trade anymore, right? Well, that yeah, exactly. That's the roughest part is once you lose it, it's gone forever. It's like not everybody has to live like that, but once you once as long as some people do, it's always an option for people. But as soon as one generation loses it all, it's just all gone, and so it's. It's so important, you know, I, I really, yeah, it's really important that they can keep it going because I do, like I said earlier, the difference is night and day as for personal psychological health on how they're living. <laughs> Absolutely. That's mm. a really, really interesting story. I, it's a very unique perspective that you have. I think, I mean, I don't know anyone else who's ever gone and lived, you know, in yeah. time. So I think <laughs> that's, that's a really super cool common. Right, it's a cool insight that you have. So yeah, yeah, yeah. You kind of uh you you had that opportunity and and you really became an outdoorsman I think like kind of through those experiences and also on your own when you came back. How did the mm-hmm. own thing happen? And I guess for the folks watching live, uh you know, what is alone for anybody who who hasn't seen the show? Oh uh, yeah, this is a show 
my buddy told me about it. I think the first two seasons had come out, and he, it's a show where you get ten items, basically real basic items like axe, saw, fishing hooks, you know, a few things. And there's ten people, and they're all dropped off in um, separate locations. And whoever lasts the longest, you can tap out at any time. Short story, long story short, whoever lasts the longest wins, you know. And uh, so it could go up to a year on my season, so that was pretty, you know, it's pretty wild. But uh, I had watched the first two seasons on when my buddy told me, and I kind of just on a whim, you know, you kind of watch the show, and you're like, oh, why aren't they hunting bears, you know. And then I sent in, <laughs> sent in a link to my uh, YouTube videos, living with the natives over there. And, uh, uh, well, you don't know. Of course, there's, like, regulations and stuff that you don't know when you're watching. So uh, they might have if they could have. <laughs> right, right. But anyway, I sent the application in and then forgot about it. It was just on an evening kind of whim. And then uh, I think season three I was too late for. Season four was uh, teams. Season five was, like, returnees. So it wasn't until three years later that I just got a call out of the blue. I was doing a construction job, and they were like, hey, is alone and I had to be like wait what oh yeah holy cow <laughs> and they're you know they made it sound like they were pretty confident they wanted me on and so I was immediately like whoa that's a right, let me, hold on let me think I forgot about that and so uh but I couldn't say no you know like I knew I didn't know where it was going to be so you kind of wonder where they're going to put you but uh I knew it was a pretty golden opportunity so, Absolutely, yeah. yeah that's mm-hmm. I, it's one that a lot of people now uh, with the show's gain in popularity have like gone for. So I think it's it's almost like winning like a wilderness lottery if if you're totally. a normal person. <laughs> At what point did you realize that you were pretty much going to your home field, aka like the Arctic, like the, the really cold? Yeah, lottery? when they told us, I think you know I can't remember. You know, it's going to be somewhere like coldish, and I think when they told us. It was probably a month before drop-off. I can't remember, two weeks or a month before drop-off. And, you know, immediate, you don't know how it's going to go. You never know how life in the wilderness is going to go. You know, even the most skilled people can have something happen or whatever. But I, what I did know is that it was possible and that, um, you know, I'd never been to the Northwest Territories in particular, but in the North it's a place that rewards activity and rewards you know, hard work and stuff. Um, and so just knowing where it was gave me like, okay, I know I can make it happen if I, you know, if I'm on my game. And um, I, there were a lot of, you know, you go on Reddit and you read all the stuff and there was a lot of talk about how, oh man, uh, you, you can only starve to win this show, you know, and they had done all the, there was from pretty popular YouTube guys, you know, like, the whole breakdown of how the calories are impossible to gain in, you know, that situation. And the only thing you can do is gain a ton of weight and sit there. And there was a lot of talk about it, but I just knew once I knew where it was, I was like, I know it's possible. I know I can make it happen. So it's got to get up there and see if you can actually do it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You got to put it all together. That's yeah. Just knowing and you're going to fail at stuff. You know, I missed a moose. You know, that first moose I missed, which was crazy. Uh, and then you have to recover and, you know, think on the fly and make it happen again. Yeah, anyway, we'll get all there or whatever, but jump in the gun. But No, you're, you're good. So uh, when you land there, what was kind of your, your, first, your first thought? Like, they drop you off. Typically, people, you know, think My thought. <laughs> yeah, my thought was food, 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 food. You know, like, it's, uh, when they... When they uh, dropped me off, I was initially thinking about, okay, first you think, well, this is sucks, my spot sucks. <laughs> no, it's just like you have your initial reactions to your area. And then um, it's not what you would picture, of course, so you have all that to deal with. And then, uh, but it was all like, okay, what, winds, what way is the prevailing wind coming from? Um, what's the terrain look like? How's animal movement going to happen? Where should I put my shelter that's going to disrupt? the least you know the already existing patterns and um and you know this first moment while i've only been here 30 minutes is is uh where you really want to 
uh, take advantage of the fact that animals aren't used to you being out there. So I got my bow immediately and did a big walk around my territory and shot a rabbit right away. So that was like, take a lot of pressure off. You're like, yes, you know, like I got today's meal. And then, uh, <laughs> and then, so it was all, you know, my shelter was really effective, but it was, I built it in a day basically, you know, it was like, it was all I would have needed all winter, but it was, I built it quick, and then it was going to, you know, you can continue to add on to it throughout, and I did, you know, tweak it. But I was basically throw up a shelf, find a good location. I moved, you know, half a mile from where they dropped me to where I wanted to be based on wind direction and animal patterns and stuff. And then, uh, uh, and then I, yeah, every day was just hunting, fishing, scouting, putting up snares, and I was just being really active. You know, I basically leave in the morning and come back in the evening from whatever scouting I was doing. <laughs> yeah, so you basically went like atypical and instead of like doing the starve thing or the the sit and starve, you did like to go out and try and find food. Well, I thought it was a huge disadvantage for me to be thin and have a high metabolism in some ways. I mean, of course it is, but for me, psychologically, it was good because I knew that starving wasn't an option. Like, I saw everybody else there. I was like, man, I'm going to be the first out if it's a starving contest. You know, so I was like, I gotta, I'm got i going for it. And I was, yeah, just activity, activity the whole time, you know. And, and once I started getting, you know, you get 10 snares out, 20, 30, 40. You know, you start getting all those snares out, and you start getting rabbits, and it starts rewarding you, you know, it's, uh, the fishing was hard initially. Uh, it took a long time to nail the fishing down. I eventually did, and it was the funnest fishing of you know I've ever had. But they didn't show any of that on the show. But it was you know you're catching like 25 pound lake trout on your stupid little rod. Like, <laughs> yeah. so Dude, those exciting! Lake trout were massive. <laughs> oh yeah, just a blast, man. I, yeah, it was it was a, a really good time fishing. Uh, once I figured it out, but I didn't actually catch a fish until after the moose. So. Uh, that's when you need yeah. it, right? It's when you need the, the fat to pair with all the protein. Exactly, exactly. Although, the, well, I mean, the, yeah, the protein thing with a moose was a little over-dramatized. Like, you can definitely live off of a moose for, a few, you know, a few months. I think it was, um, uh, yeah, there was a lot of food on a moose. I think that was kind of, they played into that one a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah, but uh, I've had to tell a lot of people, you know, just to clear it up. No, you can live on a moose. You know, it's it's basically what the natives do all the time. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, especially if what, never, what is true? What is true is rabbit starvation, and I had never lived solely on rabbits, and so I was curious. Well, you know, how long can you drag out just a rabbit-only diet? And uh, but turns out it's not like a year it's basically as soon as you start eating a rabbit you're already starving so i uh caught 28 rabbits in the first 20 days or so and i lost no less weight than anybody else out there so i was losing a pound a day just like everybody else now it might have been paying for it might have been paying for my activity but it wasn't like sustaining you know in the sure. long run yeah yeah i think what people don't realize with an animal is they think about quarters. So they think about like mm -hmm. the muscle on the legs, but what you don't realize is a kidney is just engulfed in a giant ball of fat. So like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Can sustain a human for that was the gold mine. And that is particularly, so I had a lot of fat cause there's a lot of other fat on the animal, but that's the fat that the Wolverine stole was that little ball of kidney fat out of the moose. Just so. And it's the best. Yeah, which was very disappointing. <laughs> That's the best fat there is. Oh, yeah. That was very disappointing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, let, let's dig into that. So you had you had uh, a food cache, and you were, you were kind of hiding uh, certain cuts and fat away from the other animals, and you ran into a wolverine issue where you guys kind of screwed Well, out. yeah, what happened was, you know, you get when you get a moose in a wilderness like that, there's a ton of stuff you have to do. It wasn't yet cold enough to to be safe you know I was getting in the 50s and stuff in the day so when I so I had to get out there and like smoke my meat preserve everything you know get the just take care of all the stuff you have to do meanwhile you kind of got to come up with a way to protect your meat whether you're hanging it in trees or what but but I was mostly worried about just getting a bunch of smoke on it and um 
so like you saw, I turned my shelter into a smoker and all this and that. Well, I also thought I didn't want to hang all my meat up too far or whatever because I wanted to uh, – I thought a bear might still be in there. And I thought – I built that low shelf in front of my shelter that if a bear came, it, I could shoot it, basically come and uh, use my shelter almost as a blind. And I really expected a bear to come once I had the moose down. But I – and so I kind of left my, I should, you know, should have been a little more careful, but I kind of had my meat pile on top of that shelf. And I'd found a gallon jug that uh, I packed full of that kidney fat. And I've made some other containers I put other fat in. But that particular gallon jug I set on top of that shelf. And then uh, I just figured, oh, I'll wake up if a, if a bear comes, you know, and then, <laughs> but I, it, when I, when I went out the next morning, it was just the morning or two after the, I got the thing, I went out and I was like, you know, like first I started seeing tracks all around and I was like, what the heck? And it, it doesn't dawn on you right away. Cause as much as, you know, every fur trapper in Russia tells you about the scourge of the Wolverine, I hadn't actually ran into one. So I wasn't something that was in my consciousness you know at the tip of my tongue so to speak and so when i uh went out there you're just like what tracks tracks and then you're like i was like oh no and then you start okay what did he grab and you look around it slowly dawns on you where's that jug and you're like no what an idiot and so then uh uh anyway my plan failed because a bear would have made enough noise that i would have heard it and come out and shot it and doubled up but a wolverine just Slyly came in and pulled one on of one over on me, and uh, and so then it was like the battle was on, you know. Like I knew it was gonna go down because he he knew where the food was and he wasn't gonna leave it, you know. He he started to get really bold. I'd be out there scraping the moose hide in the middle of the day, and I'd just see him like <laughs> like dart by trying to grab like whoa, grab your bow and fling an arrow. But uh, but yeah, it was. Uh, it was very different than the moose hunt because the moose hunt, I remember every bit of it, and it was, uh, you know, it was like probably the most exciting day of my life, but also one of the most like roller coaster up and down, because, I mean, we can talk about that too, but but the Wolverine thing was pure like primal, uh, you know, it was primal for sure. Like when it, I. Uh, <laughs> um, the, so a night, one of the nights prior, you know, I'd been, we'd been going at it for a week or so, and I'd set up a perimeter of cans with, like, string so that every time it came onto my peninsula, I'd hear, like, a clank, 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 and then I'd get ready and try to capture it or whatever. There were certain things we weren't allowed to do, like bait traps and such. So you're, you're a little bit limited in your t- toolkit. But the um, – so I uh, – one night, heard the cans go off, and I ran out, and I saw the thing behind a bush, and I could see its eyes, and I had my bow, and I was ready to shoot, but I was waiting for it to come out of the bush, and he kind of blinked and took off, and I never saw him again. I was like, dang, I should have just shot it through the bush, and then the next night, same thing. I hear another clank, and I ran out, and this time, I just as it was scooching along past the bush, I just sent an arrow in there, and you know, immediately, I could see it like they ricocheted through there and like pinned it through the leg and into the ground and was stuck in the alders. And it was just kind of like a chaos for a second. You could see it flipping around and I just grabbed my ax and ran over there. And that was like, it was just primal, you know, before I knew it, he jumped at me and I have the like picture memory of his like little snarly self jumping at me. And then I swung and the first swing like disemboweled him and then he spun around, but he was pinned by the arrow still. And then he jumped again, and then I just swing, swing, swing. And I was like, over before it started, I was like, holy cow, what just happened? You know? But it was a so, so wild you time. Ended up, you kind of ended up getting your fat back in a way from him. Yeah, no, Wolverine's not a particularly fatty animal. But, yeah, I definitely ate the, you know, you got to eat the heart if you kill Wolverine. With an axe. And I ate all the organs and you know, tried it out, had a drumstick, but it was kind of skunky, you know, musky meat. So I waited to finish it for uh, when the moose was gone. Save it for a dark day together with all the smoked rabbits and stuff. <laughs> yeah, or, or chum your gill net or something. Yeah, totally, totally. So, but what, it was, was, 
walk us through that that moment uh where you kind of spot and stock that moose uh what was that like yeah the moose hunt was cool because it was what i liked about it we've all been in the woods and we've like all gotten lucky before in the woods where you're just at the right place at the right time and isn't that um that moose hunt felt to me like it was really well earned you know like i spent hours and hours just calling moose and scouting my territory and looking for sign and and you know kind of figured out you know okay well here's where their trails are and so then i set up some tin cans with string across their trails and tried to set the cans to where they just clank gently if you walk through it but i it'd be an odd sound so it'd catch my um attention and uh sure enough i was out uh or, you know i'd heard it i think that was on the show one night i had heard a moose but i was like in the middle of the night, zipped up in my sleeping bag, and he can't be like, you know, because he can't get out. And I was like, man, it's better to just, if he's right close to my shelter, it's better that he just, you know, cruises around and thinks it's safe than to go out and blow it up. So I was like, waited till the morning, and I was like, man, I gotta, you know, make sure that never happens again. So I went out, and that's when I put the strings up so that I'd get an early warning if they came by. And then, sure enough, you know, weeks or some time later, a week later. Uh, I heard one of my cans in the morning go clank, and I was like, "Oh man!" And I, and I ran out of my shelter. It was like in the morning again, and it was the morning after. I, what I noticed, I noticed a little pattern when they they did show up. It was always like a the full morning after I had been moose calling a bunch. So it would just take them. They would just meander all night, and then finally get there. And then, uh, sure enough, there he was. It was like the biggest moose I've ever seen. You know, he was just a monster, and he had ran through that can, scared himself. And then ran uh, towards my shelter and then turned around and looked back at the cans. And so when I came out, it was, like, almost perfect. He was facing away from me, like, quartering away, looking at the cans. And I came out, but uh, he was out in the mud flat, and I could only get so close. And he was just so huge, I thought he was closer than he was. And so I went back to shoot, and uh, I guessed he was, like, 30 yards and I shot I didn't have anything to go gauge it by and I shot and it like dropped short and I was like ah and then like an idiot I looked and I grabbed my camera and not my quiver and I was like no and then he had a stupid thing like stares and looks at me and then starts meandering off and I was like no <laughs> I ran back but you know what was really what was really funny uh was that uh in a moment like that, when the stakes are so high, you'd think you'd just be like, man, this sucks. But I was just super excited. I was like, man, that was, I felt like I just saw a dinosaur. That was awesome. And I was sort of disappointed, but I was like, okay, I got to like work double time now and make up for that and make sure that, you know, another opportunity happens. And so I waited and I tracked that moose. And when I was tracking it, I could see it kind of went between, I mean, there's not not cliffs, but, but, but there's kind of a valley that they would come through probably 300 yards wide or something. And, uh, and I just thought, man, I should build one of those reindeer fences that we build in Russia, you know, like, uh, to keep the reindeer in. Cause oftentimes moose would end up in our reindeer fences, you know, and, and you'd build these 30 kilometer huge fences with no nails or just stacked logs. And, uh, and I thought to myself, man, am I really going to spend the calories to build a, you know, a giant fence out here? But I'm like, well, I'm here to, like, make it happen. So, yeah, <laughs> so then I just did. I just started started building a fence in a big, giant funnel fence and funneled all the moose traffic that could potentially come through the valley into one trail. Did the same thing, tweaked my can set up and kind of uh, made everything work a little better and then and then uh, went back to snaring rabbits and exploring and calling moose and all that. And then, yeah, one morning I was out, uh, actually had a rabbit in a snare, and uh, and I heard a clunk, and I was like, no way. And I was, <laughs> and so I was like, oh, man. So I just ran over because I had, like, placed the mouth of the, of the funnel kind of near a bush that would be a good bush to hide behind. And I just ran over to that bush, you know, as quietly as I could, creeped over there and waited, and then sure enough, this moose just comes lumbering along the fence and uh, you know you're just like no way no way and it probably would have came and come through the funnel 10 yards from me and I would have just stuck it you know right there easy shot but of course you don't want to screw up so as soon as it was 23 or so yards from me I just shot and it was quartering towards me which is a tough archery shot 
And uh, I hit it, and it felt like a really good shot. But uh, I was like, oh, I was a little more to the right than I wanted, you know. And then it, and it took off. But I, I was like, oh, man. And then it, was, then it just was on as far as the roller coaster. Because it ran off, and you're just so excited because it felt like an excellent shot. They're good enough. <laughs> and it was, took off, and I followed the blood trail and saw some bubbles. And I was like, oh, this is awesome. So then I went back to my shelter and skinned that rabbit and just tried to pass as much time as I could. And then uh, I was like, okay, I can't wait any longer. I got to go track this thing down. And then, uh, and then the blood dried up, and the, and all the hoof tracks ended. And, uh, and I was just like, no way, am I going to lose this thing? Like, no way, no way. And you know, so then you start. Everybody that's bow hunted and lost something, you just sit. You're like, no way. <laughs> but I was like, I knew I'd lung hit it, so I was like, I know it's not going to run uphill. So I'm just going to stay next to the shore and follow the shoreline. And sure enough, you know, 500 yards or so. There he was laying down up there, and, uh, and again, he's like, up, down, way up, <laughs> emotional roller coaster. He's just like, yes, but I can, of course, like 50 yards away, and you can only get so close. And then, uh, I, I, you know, I've, I was just terrified of it standing up and running off, because once you hit a, an animal, and he stops, and he sits there and bleeds for a while, there's a good chance it'll all clot up, and if he jumps up, and if you scare him, and he runs away, you might never find blood again, and he and he'll know he's being chased, and so you'll have adrenaline. And he could run for miles, and so so there was the no real way to finish it already, off. I just yeah. You already knew that you had a lung shot because you could see the bubbles. Right, the blood. right. So you know hunters, it's going to end. Yeah, yeah. For people that aren't hunters, when you see the bubble in the blood, that typically means that uh, you didn't just hit the vitals; that you actually got into the lungs, which is the goal. Right, right, right. And so you do know that there, he's got a timer, you know, he's going to die, but he, uh, but you can still really screw it up and not find it. And so the only real like negative stuff I got after the show is people like, why did you let that moose suffer? But it really just wasn't an option. You know, like you can't, you can't go closer and stick another arrow in it somehow, you know, without really risking getting attacked or having it run off you know <laughs> so it was like neither neither good option so you just waited it out and it kind of calm finally it like stood up and it would stand up and fall down like multiple times and every time you're so nervous because you're just like oh it's gonna run off and then it would drop down and you're like oh yeah finally it tipped over and you i went over there and touched it and you're like holy crap it's dead you know <laughs> and that's as excited as you can possibly get uh, the best day ever. Oh, best day ever. It's hilarious. Uh, and yeah, it was a real fun. Crazy part of that story is knowingly you only took a multi-tool as your cutting weapon, so you had to skin the entire <laughs> moose with a Leatherman blade that was... <laughs> That's right. Yeah, no regrets there. Like, I mean... It was never even a negative thought. You're just like, oh, it's a small knife, but this is awesome, man. <laughs> Happy to do it again. Uh, yeah, it worked fine. Um, and, you know, I, I processed enough moose in Russia with the natives that it was, you know, doable. And uh, I hadn't done one alone, so that was a big job. And then packing it all back to camp and all that. But uh, not a complaint at all for me that's for sure i was just like on cloud nine right and, and moose are so big that uh you know when you come in the field like that and you're alone it's a special situation where you don't necessarily get to pick the way the animal's laying you kind of have to give take what's given you know you yeah yeah exactly you can't roll it around yeah 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 good point yep for sure you had to and i had to do that you know work with the tree that it kind of fell up against and prop its leg up with sticks while you're doing stuff yeah for sure and then you kind of like straddle one leg and try and pull the quarterback exactly all the tricks right right i got a question in here it says can you do the moose call <laughs> what was it? it's kind of like let's see here you go you know Something like that. Do that Hell a bunch. Yeah. You get a little birch tube, and it sounds even better. <laughs> Hell yeah, that was, that was so good. <laughs> and then was, uh, that, uh, was that something that you got 
uh, with the Avinky is were they using bark to to do? You know, I, that's something I'd seen over there, but they didn't off they didn't often do it. So I had never like called a moose in fully like that. But um, I know that they do it over there. But the way the natives do it is they're just living in the woods, always doing particular things and always on the lookout for game. So, like, they come across it, and then they shoot it, and then, you know, it's just a constant hunt. And sometimes we'd go off, of course, on specific hunts, but uh, I hadn't called in a moose prior to that. I had seen the birch bark calls and all that over there. So, yeah, yeah. What, what did you Actually, eat the, was it Was it the tenders or the heart? The heart. Yeah, the heart's my favorite. And I had... Uh, Heart's great, too, and it's got that big, thick layer of fat on the top, and oh, man, that was delicious. I even thought I was being thoughtful and saved a chunk for my wife, you know, and then when she came three months later, it was just a dry up. <laughs> I thought it was a better thought than it was an actual. <laughs> but, uh, it's, like a, it's a heart for Thanksgiving. Yeah, exactly. Or not Thanksgiving, <laughs> not Thanksgiving uh, Valentine's. Valentine's Day, right, right. 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 No, uh, no, it was uh, pretty wild. It was delicious. And uh, the whole moose was with no salt, no nothing from day one to the last day. It was, I enjoyed every meal, you know. And at first I ate the heart, and then I would eat the liver. There's a lot of liver, so it's kind of a lot to eat. And I just, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, every day eat some of it and uh, worked my way through that. But you got to eat the liver. That's where a lot of the nutrients are in a situation like that, vitamin A and all that. Um the moose marrow, you know, marrow is a classic, delicious, fatty food, and uh, that was super enjoyable. I made jello, like, you know, meat jello <laughs> and stuff. With, like, ice, like a little bit of ice and marrow? Well, you get the, no, with the, oh, I made, uh, yeah, like ice cream, like that, but I also made, uh, uh, you have to make, like, a jello. It's like you get the joints and you boil them all the joints, and it turns basically into jello, like a Bloop, 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 like a meat jello is it the the fluid that's like inside the socket is that yeah exactly oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah 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 <laughs> it's a russian classic <laughs> that stuff smells really funky when it's raw yeah i needed a gar a little garlic would have helped but <laughs> <laughs> right on man so so you end up you end up taking taking it home what was how many days was it that you were out there uh 77 Right yeah. on. So was that longer than you thought, shorter than you thought? Oh, it was definitely shorter than I thought. I hadn't even, like, I thought it was, like, not even worth entertaining the idea that the show would end before day 90. And then I thought, so in my mind, I thought we got to get to day 90, and then it's going to start. And then we're going to, like, it's going to be me and whoever else got game, you know, and, or who else, whoever figured out sustainable fishing and we're just going to stretch it until we're completely you know miserable and cashed out and i so i thought in my mind i thought if i could get to day 130 or 140 that i think everyone else would tap because they would have had to sit through january in the north which really sucks yeah it have been cold and dark and boring and you know like i just like i think even if somebody has food there's a good chance they'll go home in january so uh, that's what I was going for, and I, I'm pretty confident I had what I needed to get there. I just, uh, so I, I hadn't even, I honestly hadn't even thought that it was a potentiality that it would end yet. And so I was totally shocked. And even at the end when Janelle was walking up, I, I heard her crunching around behind me, but I just thought it was crew. You know, I was like so so set on telling these guys that, you know, this is my normal body weight. You guys better not pull me. <laughs> that, that I uh, didn't even look. She could have slit my throat. But I, uh, yeah, it was it was a total shock. I was 100% surprised. And it was about. You got to be about... totally overwhelmed when you see her, right? Oh, yeah, man. I mean, yeah, that was amazing. What a cool moment. I'll never, I'll always remember that for sure. Uh and so much of it, because Janet Lee, after we got married, had come with me to Siberia for a winter and a summer. And so much of it, I was like, man, this would be so nostalgic. I'd love for her to be able to come here and, like, see this or see that. I even built, like, a food cache, which, you know, I always liked those. And then, uh, uh, yeah, so it was really cool that she came. Although they didn't look, 
they didn't uh, let her. They only she only stayed one night, and then she had to go. I was hoping that, that we could like stay out there for a, you know some days <laughs> since they flew her up there. But uh, yeah, no, it was pretty pretty cool moment. So, what about uh, the rack and the head of the moose? Did you is that still in the house or where, where's that? You know that sad story. No, uh, yeah, I, uh, so I had the Wolverine skull, and then when I was at base camp you know, doing our interview after the show, uh, one of the dogs got a hold of it and chewed it up. So that was a bummer. And then uh, I had the moose skull, and that was like my other big memento. I had, I had left more than I should have, like more things that could have been sentimental because I was like, I got the wolverine skull and a moose skull. And then, <laughs> well, then at the airport, uh, they'd kind of alone or whatever dropped me off at the airport. And I was like, okay, here's my flight. So I had my bags and put it all on the plane. And the lady at the airport was like, what's in that bag? And I was like, oh, it's like a moose antlers. And she's like, oh, it, I can't let that go. You got to like package it in a hard case. Cause I had just like wrapped it in blankets and this and that. And basically she said it couldn't go on the plane. And so, and I didn't have anyone to call. And so I was like, crap. And uh, basically just set it in front of the airport door and, got on my plane and left. <laughs> dude, I bet somebody uh, in Canada is like, dude. Somebody in Canada. Well, moves. the dumb thing, the funny thing is, is that it's like not even a, like if you live in, in uh, Yellowknife, you've got a lot bigger moose racks on your wall than that one. <laughs> it's probably like a dog's chew toy. But to me, it would be pretty awesome to have. But yeah, no, no sign of it yet. So I'll buy a little bit bigger one on eBay and say it was that one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just put it on the wall. No one will know. <laughs> we'll edit this part out and then nobody will ever. Hear yeah, it. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so one thing I think that's interesting. I also had uh, Roland on for an episode. I don't know if you saw that oh, one, cool. but uh, I didn't see that one. No. He. Uh, he he talked a lot about how his faith and spirituality affected like his mission out there. So it was interesting to me that there's two people kind of back-to-back -back winners that both had like some outlook on like their, their, their faith and spirituality that ended up winning back-to-back. -back. So I'm wondering, is that like part of what it takes to be out there alone? Um, I, I don't want to say that you couldn't with, you know, like otherwise, but uh, yeah, absolutely. For me, it was, uh, it was really centering. It's really important to know kind of uh, why you're doing what you're doing in general in life and, um, you know, have a – and I found myself a lot out there. You know, you kind of have a lot going on, a lot of stuff, a lot of stressors, and I just found myself uh, a lot just like I would just like, cross myself and go, all right. Kind of like it was like a cool physical action that I found – I could do that would just immediately recenter me and focus me on like, hey, there's a lot more stuff than me out there, um, and yeah, so ab absolutely it was vital for me. What you find is when you go out in a place like that, in a situation like that, that um, whether or no matter where your spiritual path, you know that stuff's gonna come up. You know, you're, it's gonna become important all of a sudden. You're gonna find yourself. I thought it was amazing because I could, uh, it just felt like constantly practicing the presence of God, as they say, you know, you kind of always, uh, not like necessarily getting on my knees and praying, but just always in communion with like a, you know, with the good Lord, however you, and so it was really valuable to me and, uh, yeah, really rich time. What's up, Hakeem? So what's uh what's up next for for Jordan? Are are you doing anything big now, survival oriented? Um yeah, we've been doing classes up in the wilderness, which have been a total blast. Basically, uh, just going out in the woods for a week into some of the like the places that I want to go the most, and then you know inviting people to come along and uh and. Yeah, those have been am totally amazing. I think they came kind of at the right time because uh, people, I think, now need to, you know, get off the phone, get out, kind of get away from politics a little bit, have a, <laughs> you know, see your, the other people that come on the course are real humans, you know, and 
really cool people, and they might be from completely different walks of life. You'd probably be arguing online, but it's like just a really awesome time to have all the, you know, get people out there. You get in nature, see see each other for who we are, and uh, uh, yeah, it's been awesome. Not to mention, it's just so fun getting out in the woods, and it's like the combination of the two best things in the world, not just not just being in the woods, but also having cool people out there. So it's, uh, yeah, I've been doing those wilderness courses. There's some spots left. Um, they're, they're getting booked quickly, but uh, at like jordanjonas.com, there's a few more spots left. I'll be putting out one more week here soon. And so uh, then I got some llamas so I can take the, you know, do some private courses if people want, go up into some of the woods and they, the llamas can pack our gear. And I can also take the family out and go a lot longer because I don't have to pack everybody's food. Right. <laughs> so, so, so if uh, people want to go out with you, they can just hop on what your your website or your Instagram. Yeah, jordanjonas.com is really good to see the information and then also getting get on the mailing list, not only for courses, but I'm actually this, this year, I want to. I've been a little slow on it, but uh, I've decided to do it and just make a, a an axe, like a Siberian Evenki native style axe, which, uh, quite honestly, I just like better than any other axe I can get. It seems like a weird item to not be able to get in America, but it's like, man, I can't quite find the right axe. So I've always felt I should probably just make it, uh, but it's like a big financial risk. But I think, you know, I've been talking to my wife, and it's like, man, I guess let's just do it because it is pretty cool. It would be cool. I think it'll do well. I think people will like it. So uh, you can get on my email list on my website, too, and I'll let you know as that moves forward. Or Instagram, Hobo Jordo. That has all the stuff. Yeah. Right on, man. Well, you heard it here first. You guys can go check out his courses. Uh, Jordan, this has been an excellent uh, chat. Uh, it's been an honor for me uh, just to hear your stories. And uh, you're definitely one wild dude and uh, wish you nothing but the best. <laughs> well, hopefully I'll run, run into you again sometime. That was fun. Seeing you at yeah, the archery shop. Uh, yeah, yeah. Hopefully yeah. See each if you're up in Montana, hit me up. Yeah, yeah, All yeah. Right, will do, man. Yeah, man. Thanks for the invite. See you guys. Right, Thanks for tuning in. Later. Bye, guys. Stay wild. <laughs>